And so today we're meeting with um, Steve Chilroyd at the Montdarty Earth Observatory, who did this paper in, in, that came out in 1999 called 20th Century Atmospheric Metal Fluxes into Central Park Lake, New York City. And it's funny, I've used this paper in my classes just because it's, you know, I teach at Barnard, and so it's hyper-local. The students really like it that we're looking at stuff in New York City. And then I think this paper is interesting because it's come back around and become more pertinent with them. Um, I think with everything happening with lead and blood lead, flint, etc., there's a people are really realizing this lead issue was never solved. It's it's still here with us and we have to deal with it. And so I've actually been reading this paper a lot recently to think about um you know, to start thinking about like how do we investigate lead, looking at lead in soils, etc. So it's a it's one of these papers we just keep reading and think about. So I thought it'd be fun to come up and chat with Steve, who I've known for ages, about the paper. So so that sort of gets us to where we are. And so I thought it'd just be interesting to um before we like dive into some figures, just to maybe hear from Steve sort of how we got on this project and like got started. Sure. So <clears throat> when we did this uh, core. We had funding from the Superfund Research Program um, that was centered at Mount Sinai, and um, we were focused on on lead and uh, organochlorines was the two main focuses. And we went to Central Park Lake, you know, this small rowboat lake that many people have been on, um, with the idea of of putting constraints on how much leaded gasoline fell out of the sky. Because it was already well known that leaded gasoline dominated um, the atmospheric uh, source of lead unless you were very close to an active smoker. Um, um, so we went and, um, you know, I still remember the day when it was, a, it was actually a summer intern who did the measurements and she came with the results. Um, and she put them up, and we had already had dated the core with the radionuclides, so she had them up there with the radionuclides, and right away you could see that it didn't look like leaded gasoline, and that that was, um, you know, in science it's it's always exciting when you find something that you're not expecting, <laughs> um, and so that led to a lot of work of trying to figure out well if it wasn't leaded gasoline, if it wasn't consistent with, with the time history of leaded gasoline and the amount of lead in gasoline and its use, then what was it? <clears throat> um, so I spent, I spent several weeks going through the Central Park Conservancy records um, trying to understand the road runoff because, um, you know, the, the, the roads that surround the lake do have drainage pipes that lead into the lake. Um, they're not heavily used at, at the moment, but I didn't know if that was true throughout its history. And <clears throat> so I did, I did a lot of work to try to, to constrain that, as well as just trying to understand the history of the lake. You know, were they chucking lead paint into the lake, or were they <laughs> um, doing pesticides, some of the lead, these lead pesticides? The, um, so I, I was really trying to understand anything that it could be. Um, and, um, you know, the first data that we did was just lead and zinc and copper. And the lead and zinc looked very similar. 
and the copper looked um, quite uh, quite different. But <clears throat> um, but it, it took that research in the library as well as doing additional things to really make sense of it. Um, and, and really the tin was the key thing that when we added the ICP mass spec elements and we could look at tin that um, we started thinking about incineration. Um, yeah, no, because you, so for, I'm going to ask you about Central Park Lake, because I think that's like the cool part about it. Like, uh, right, like the idea of doing something, like who would ever think of doing research on Central Park, Park Lake. Lake, right? It seems, it's um, right there in front of you every day, day. but I think, it, right, it's like, you, you probably. Well, not only that, but if you've ever been out on it, yeah. you take a stroke in one of those little rowboats that you rent, and this yeah. cloud of. <laughs> of green murk <laughs> swells up and you're like yeah. how, how could you ever how could you ever keep an archive of what's going on yeah. um with that much mixing you know people yeah. are out on those lakes <laughs> all the time um so it it was surprising how well preserved the records were yeah. and how well we could date them actually yeah so how did you like who's how did you come up with that idea was it like um well so I was in a group that had for decades been going around trying to get N-member uh, samples from kind of N-members to represent different things and um, from from um, wastewater treatment inputs yeah. into the Hudson River to um, to the main tributary inputs with the PCBs coming down the main stem of the, the Hudson. Um, and so this was our attempt to look at the atmospheric input. Um, so we, we went there thinking we would hopefully see the atmospheric input, but, but we also knew we'd have to rule out, you know, or confirm whether it was really atmospheric or not. Oh, cool. Um, and then, um, it was Martin Studa who actually made the connection to the Central Park Conservancy that got us permission to walk out on the ice (laughs) to take the core. So... We took this core after the big blizzard in '96. Um, that um, not only, you know, was the lake well frozen, but there was a good uh, 18 inches of snow on top of yeah. the ice. It, it, it was a big blizzard. Yeah, that one like shut down the city for. Yeah, it really shut down the city. Um, um, there were people cross country skiing on <laughs> on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, cool. Then back to okay. So I'm going to keep going about because I think one right then the. Right, the one thing that you find that's really interesting, it's, it, it doesn't, like, you don't match up with the leaded gasoline story. It's really a vol- like, it's an incineration <clears throat> yeah. story. So you were saying that tin was your... Tin was the real clue, because um, where lead and zinc often go together, yeah. and so it, the fact that they went together so closely didn't really rule out anything. Okay. You know, there's zinc in tires, uh-huh. um, there's... Anywhere you have lead, you almost always have zinc. Okay. Um, but the tin was something that um, you wouldn't expect to be going with a with a road runoff or on a, a leaded gasoline okay. signal. So that was the real clue that that there was some big source that came from something else. Yeah. And then when you started thinking and looking around, what other things it could be. Um, um, Tin uh, was in in uh, tin cans and the solder oh, with really? lead. Okay. And so that was the big that started making sense. Okay. Um, 
So when you incinerate the garbage. When you incinerate the garbage, the 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 old lead solder that was yeah. in the cans of the food we ate, thus helping poison us also, <laughs> um, was just being burnt and, and volatilized with okay. the tin and the lead at the same time. Okay. Um, I want you, and then you also did stuff with vanadium. Yeah, right? I mean, once we did ICP mass spec, we looked at a large suite okay. of things. So the vanadium was a very interesting story. Um, you know, New York City's got a long history of local legislation to improve air quality. Yeah. Um, um, and, and local law number one was to reduce the sulfur content in fuels. Yeah. And it, when they passed that in 1966, it basically eliminated the cheapest fuel out there, which was Venezuelan crude, which was not only really high in sulfur, but was super high in vanadium. And so, um, so that vanadium story just um, is the history of phasing out um, Venezuelan uh, crude oil from okay. from the local from the local use um, because of its high sulfur content. Yeah. Um, and it was also really good because it was one of the few metals that looked very you know almost all the metals came from the incineration. Yeah. So uh, you know though that it was tightest for lead, tin, and zinc. Almost all the metals looked like the incineration story that we got from the ICP mass spec. So it was nice to have one metal that was very different because mm -hmm. um, it gave you some confidence that you were looking, you know, that and the, and the radionuclides looking very different gave you confidence that you weren't just looking at a mixing story of something that got chucked in the lake and then just mixed down. Yeah, yeah, so it's actually, so it's actually you were keeping your, yeah. the lake was keeping its annual layers. The lake was keeping its annual layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is always... E even with this rowboat <laughs> stirring, which which has been happening since the very beginning of the lake, right? You yeah, know, yeah. there's been rowboaters that was made as a as a recreational lake. Yeah. Um, was there a lake? That, I don't even know. Was there? A, did they make is that a total man-made lake, or they that's just a expand? total man-made lake? And the okay. water that goes into it is the same tap water you drink <laughs> at, at your tap. Yeah, I knew that. All the all the um, I know that all the Central Park lakes are just tap water. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, that's okay. So that no, yeah, so that's really nice. And then right, and then you show. I think that nice graph where you compare. Like how much, um, what the gas profile should look like versus an incineration profile. Yep. Just sort of put it all together. And we, we were lucky because someone had uh, spent a lot of time putting together that incineration history as part of their dissertation. Oh, I see. Um, so, so, Dan, actually... so Dan Walsh was, was the hero that had that record all ready to compare. Oh, I see. Um, so that makes sense. You didn't have to, that was already dug out. Cause that's so that was already dug out. Cause that's probably painful to. I'm sure he spent a lot of time digging that out. Yeah. I mean, but that was his. That's really what he loves doing is doing that that research in the archives of the municipal city buildings and the state archives to dig out all that gray literature. Um, but that would have been a yeah. That that would have taken a lot longer <laughs> without without Dan's help. So so he was the real hero of yeah. of this paper because as when we started thinking of incineration. Yeah. Um, we just called him up and there it yeah. was. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Then the last part that I've been using a lot lately is your inventories. Yes. Right? Because inventories, right? I don't know. If, <laughs> right? Like I've been trying, I think you present some inventory data in a small table, right? Which is, um, 
So Primus is an after. I don't know if it's an afterthought. No, no, no. Yeah. That's that's that was kind of our approach okay. from the beginning. So, um, you know, the the lake, the lake's watershed, um, compared to the lake itself, is about ten times bigger. So the surface area of the lake is only ten percent of its watershed. So you always have to worry about erosion from the larger watershed bringing more and more material in. So that if you looked at an inventory without the radionuclides, you wouldn't be able to say whether it was truly, you know, you, you wouldn't have any way of saying what area it represented. Yeah. Um, and so the radionuclides gives you that because okay. um, they've been um, very well monitored. The, the cesium-137, yeah. the fallout radionuclides from the atmospheric testing of nuclear weapons, have been very well monitored right in New York City. Um, okay. the, in fact, they were monitored throughout the world in, at the lab in New York City. There was a Department of Energy's lab, the Environmental Measurements Lab, that was responsible for monitoring all the fallout um, throughout the world. And so they would collect filters and, and count them for the fallout radionuclides. And they'd filters from Norway all the way down to Chile. But also from New York City. Oh, nice. Okay, so you had the, um, so we had the we had a very good number for New York City, okay. and um, so that gave you a comparison, and you okay. can say, well, if you have more than that, then you've had some focusing of particles into your little coring spot. Yeah. Remember, we're taking this core was <laughs> tiny, <laughs> is this right? tiny, is this <laughs> tiny little thing, and we're trying to say how is that representative of of a much bigger yeah. area, um, <clears throat> so that that known quantity of radionuclides that have fallen out of the sky provides that. And then, and then the natural radionuclide, lead-210, is really good because it's got the same chemistry as lead. And so, um, though its flux might be not as well characterized for New York City, it has been well characterized in general for the nor Northeast, and it has that major advantage that that there'll be no chemistry differences. Anything okay. that made lead move um, would make both both okay. the contaminant lead, and um, and lead's pretty sticky, so it tends not to move anyway. Yeah, it stays in the soil once it yeah it once it gets there. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So I like that one because then you went and compared. You went and got some central some soil cores, right? Yeah. So that. the idea of the soil yeah. cores was to say, did anyone chuck anything into the yeah. lake? Um, you know, any human yeah. activities, whether it was paint flaking off of the rowboat yeah. things or people, t you know, just yeah. chucking something over the side. And um, and so that was also a very important thing to, to, to rule out other immediate inputs into yeah. the lake. Um, and again, we, we saw very similar, yeah. once we normalized to the radionuclides, we saw very similar fluxes. So we said that it's primarily atmospheric, at least for lead. You know, there were, um, you can't do this for everything. The soils, some elements are quite uh, mobile in soils, like the zinc is very mobile in soils. Oh, I didn't know that. So zinc will actually wash the out. The zinc just goes like a chromatogram and just washes out. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, it was a long time ago, but I believe that's the one where yeah. if you go into the literature and look into the soils, zinc is very zinc. mobile. Okay. Um, but... Um, there were a few things that, that were chucked into the lake. Yeah. Um, we found through the looking in the library at the Central Park Conservancy, which was um, algicides. You oh. know, in the 70s, they really didn't like the lake looking like 
pea soup <laughs> in the summer, which is what it looks like now. And so they tried to yeah. algaecide it and clean out yeah. all the algae, and it would sink to the bottom. And indeed, they did that for a number of years. Oh, but okay. what they found, um, which led to yeah. very high levels of, of copper and silver in the, in oh, the okay, lake, because yeah. some of the algaecides yeah. had silver in it, too. Um, but they found that it was a, a hopeless task. That you know, <laughs> you'd spend all this yeah. money putting chemical yeah. into the lake. It would look good for a few yeah. days, and then they they yeah. would just come yeah. back. Because I think we have some phosphates in the drinking water. Well, I think that not hurt. not back then. Oh, there wasn't. No, but oh, they've always so Central Park has always been managed where they fertilized the Great Lawn oh, to make so it really green. And so and so all that fertilizer has always made it. In, yeah. Into Central Park to make it um, a eutrophic lake. Yep. It's been a eutrophic lake from <laughs> from the from very early on. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, but but Prospect Park, yeah. the sister gem of the park yeah. system in in New York and Brooklyn, was not managed that way. They've never used fertilizers, oh, okay. and so that lake was oligotrophic with yeah. big lily pod type things. Until they added phosphate to the drinking water. Oh, interesting. And then like that. It went? It swapped. Oh, And man, went okay. eutrophic. So, and that happened, you know, that adding of phosphate yeah. is, is, is very recent. Um, oh, I didn't know that was so recent with the phosphate. It's, yeah. it's very recent. Okay. Or, or um, either that or they've upped it dramatically. Oh, I guess that's ironic, though, because they put the phosphates in to control the lead. They put the phosphates <laughs> in to control the lead. <laughs> right? Like, yes. that's why you have phosphates in your yeah. water, and, right? And to keep the pipes from leaching away so you don't yeah. have to replace them so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, and also it was very, it's very ironic because yeah. we've spent billions of dollars to try to get phosphate out of our receiving waters yeah. so that water bodies don't go eutrophic. Yep. And then with the lead issue, we've added them back in. And and receiving water bodies go eutrophic again. Oh man, does that ha I mean, does that impact the amount of phosphate in the Hudson also, or not? There's as so much, much phosphate. It doesn't matter. Well, there's so much phosphate coming into the Hudson because of just wastewater. Yeah, that's what say, to yeah. begin with. Oh yep yep. So so, um, so that you know, trying to get that, f and and that was from phosphates and soaps. Yeah, yeah. Going, you know, what do, soap is made yeah. to just go down the drain. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I still remember this. Uh, yeah. If you ever read Rumpole Mysteries, he was always complaining about his wife buying the soap that, you know, <laughs> the whole purpose was to open it up and pour it down the drain. Yeah. He always thought that was a waste of money. But yeah. um, okay. so all that phosphate from all yeah. those soaps, and then we tried to re limit the phosphate yeah. going into soap to, to improve yeah. the water quality of yeah. all the receiving waters. Um, and that's, that was a, and also improve just the, the wastewater treatment yeah. to try to remove some of those phosphates. Yeah. And that, that's been, you know, decades of work, which then all of a sudden with the drinking water issue and realizing that lead was still leaching out of the pipes, they yeah. added phosphate <laughs> and, and all that. It, it's like, I, I've never understood, you know, the, the issue. Because it's like no one cares anymore that the receiving waters are going yep. eutrophic. Yep, yep. No, no, I know. I never thought of it like that before. Um, yeah. The, uh, well, it's interesting. Okay, so that central. I, I like that inventories in the. Because we've been comparing that to our inventories we get. So that's like a nice baseline. To yes. Like, to have for comparison around. 
Yeah, I, I, the environment. I believe that was my recommendation that yeah, you yeah. start comparing. And we're, we're going for, yeah, 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 we're starting to do it like, um, we're starting to do it all over the place. So it works nice. Yeah. Okay, so I have a few wrap-up questions. I was, like, I was asking, like, I think this paper holds up nicely over time. I don't know how you oh, thought about it. Yes, I mean, uh, when, so when this paper came out, um, you know, we published in the yeah. s &T. The truth is, is because it was something unexpected, yeah. Like many a scientist, we tried for a higher level journal yeah. to begin with. We we sent it to uh, Science and Nature yeah. first. Okay. We got rejected. <laughs> we got rejected without review. Wow. And yeah, I'm gonna, uh, ESNT is a is a fantastic journal. And ESNT is a fantastic yeah. journal, but but because we'd first written it for yeah. uh, for a much more condensed format, yeah. actually, when we wrote this one, the reviews came back and said, "Hmm, it's." We need a little bit more detail. It seems like you've written this for a very condensed <laughs> format. Can you provide more details yeah. and you know more data? Um, so that that was the, the funny thing there. Yeah. I've never seen anyone ask for more. Yeah. They usually want you to cut back. Yeah. But um, no, it it did stand back. We did get some some pushback, um, you know, and it got yeah. fairly well covered in the popular literature okay. and in even the the. The you know I got written up in that journal. They had a news, oh, like, news yeah. item to cover yeah. it, and and there was some pushbacks in those. And when they talked to outside people, you know, scientists yeah. about this, there was pushback of people saying, "Well, we don't believe it was atmospheric, no matter what you tell us." <laughs> yeah. um, and so you know, I do have some unpublished data from those those environmental measurement lab yeah. filters that they collected we got splits of them going back uh -huh. and we see exactly the same tin to lead to zinc ratios in those filters as we see in central oh Park. that's cool that's yeah and and but we didn't have that data at the time if we yeah. published it if we published it we would have put it in the same one and then yeah. that really would have answered that question for those people who were like well i don't you know this yeah. is soils and sediments yeah. i'll never believe yeah. i mean even joe graziano to this day talks about lead gasoline dominating the lead in New York City. Wow, okay, okay. And yet what's clear yeah. in this is it's a small fraction of the lead that fell out of the sky in New York City. I mean, yeah. you can barely see. You can barely, yeah, so it's like... You know, it, it begins to fall above yeah. the, 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 the tin and the zinc yeah. at the maximum period. And then with the yeah. watershed inputs, it continues to stay high beyond beyond that, and, um, as as the and because the tin was taken yeah. out or the lead was taken out of yeah. the, the garbage. But um, so there's just that that hint, rather than it being yeah. the dominant source. Yeah. So so we thought it was going to to actually be bigger than it was, yeah. um, but it it still has stood up and it's still. That's yeah. still cited on a regular basis. Yeah. It's it's one of my better cited papers. <laughs> um, nice, uh, cool. And then asking anything you do differently, or you or looking back, you'd um, well, if 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 I I I would have pushed on those air filters okay. sooner. But you know, the truth is, is as soon as one, we lost our funding for doing sediments work. Yep. Um, and and two, making those few air filter yeah. measurements when i just began talking about them i was instantly invited to um collaborate on on public health studies where they needed measurements on air filters and that kind of actually launched oh. my career oh and, interesting and, that's really where you've gone like since <clears throat> this paper you've really switched to i've, I've really yeah so yeah. this focus on atmospheric deposition 
and then and then trying to confirm it with these filters really got me going in a whole new direction. Um, so it it you know in in reality, even though this was right in my core expertise, it it led to my whole new career and and working with public health and 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 especially on air pollution issues. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's really cool. Okay, well, maybe that's a good spot to end. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Great. Fun chatting.